Welcome to Off Grid Ireland podcast. Tonight we'll be speaking with Ryan Turnipseed. Ryan is a youth activist, a traditionalist and a Lutheran. Please like, share and subscribe. It really makes all the difference, folks. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy us a coffee with the link below. Thank you so much for all the support. Ryan Turpenseed is an undergraduate student from Oklahoma State University in America. Ryan is an LCMS Lutheran and is one of its state's strongest youth advocates. Ryan can be found on Twitter, Telegram and YouTube and is one of America's finest spoken word creators. Uh, welcome to Offgood Ireland, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me on. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Now I'm doing well. Um, we're uh, excited to have you on. How are you keeping um, house things over in the US? <laughs> well, um, things have been pretty exciting. Um, we've had a lot of controversies. You mentioned I was a uh, LCMS Lutheran uh, for people outside of the U.S. or people inside the U.S. that don't even know what that means. Uh, they are supposed to be the conservative Lutherans, um, and they are uh, doing a terrible job of living up to that reputation. Um, so there's been a whole controversy surrounding that. Um, Christianity Today, which is a pretty popular evangelical magazine, uh, put out an article a few days ago uh, calling me the far right layman of the LCMS. So that's a uh, that's a title that I have attached to me now. And then earlier this morning, we had a uh, a, a literal Antifa front uh, publish a hit piece against me and my friends. So uh, things have been heating up there. Um, and then you know, in my own developments and all that, I've been writing a few papers for uh, economics and entrepreneurship. That's not nearly as exciting. <laughs> um, and, and, oh, and beyond all of that, um, uh, U.S. politics and the like, uh, there is a group called the Old Glory Club, which a few friends and I have made, um, which is uh, supposed to be actually representing and uh, organizing the American right wing. So uh, that's that's all I've been doing. It's been pretty hectic, pretty uh, busy and chaotic. Uh, uh, but it's uh, definitely been entertaining. Well, that's it's good stuff because we need we, that's what we need. We need fresh blood and you know vigor and you know from all. And that's what we're trying to do here in Ireland as well. Is get grassroots and stuff going. Um, suppose people would be interested in um, maybe your faith a bit. What what does it mean to be a, a Lutheran or what what different differentiates them say from uh, Catholics or you know uh, Baptist or evangelical or whichever right right so um the main thing that makes one a lutheran is holding to uh scripture alone and faith alone and uh and you know uh, by the grace of god alone so uh those three things um are what lutherans interpret the world and any and all information through or at least that's what it's supposed to be um i and most people that know their european history would be aware of uh the controversy surrounding the office of the Pope, um, a bunch of other stuff as well. That That is definitely still part of the identity. Um, that is in the, uh, basically in the the book. Uh, there is a, uh, a book that differentiates Lutherans from other groups called the Book of Concord. Um, and it's basically, it's a, uh, it's a confessional statement. Um, it still does call the Pope the Antichrist, but that's, uh, that hasn't been the main uh, fight for who knows how long now. So, uh, in the modern day in the United States, um, Lutherans are a very small group, um, and they're divided between liberal and conservative, like most other Christians in the United States. Um, the only issue is that tiny population that is Lutheran 
um, has so weak of a presence that it gets caught between the other Protestants and the Roman Catholics and whoever else. Uh, so uh, there's a sort of like a fight going on for the last few decades of what what does it mean to be Lutheran? You know, what's the identity? What does it look like? What's the uh, history and the aesthetic? Um, and it's been going either way. There's a um, there's large groups within this small denomination uh, trying to make it look much more uh, historical. Uh, high church, I believe, is what it would be called. Um, and then there's other groups that are trying to make it look more like the American evangelicals, which are uh, low church, I think, would be the term for that. Um, th- that's that's one way of looking at it. The other way is that the LCMS is one of the few churches in American Protestantism uh, that actually kicked out uh, left-wing subversives in the, 19, in the 1970s. Uh, most other churches didn't do that, and they just kind of had to fight it very softly and uh, uh, while they were attached to them. The, uh, the Baptists in the United States, um, for those that don't know, uh, their main distinguishing feature is that they will not baptize children, and they will hold that uh, the uh, communion or the Eucharist or whatever is merely symbolic. Uh, you know, that, that's their original faith statement. In the 1970s, um, they were almost sort of written off as a left-wing denomination uh, because they had mul- multiple pastors supporting things like abortion, uh, supporting Roe v. Wade, and all this other stuff. Um, in the modern day, they've mostly clawed back their reputation for being like the right-wing denomination, um, but they didn't. They and everyone else around them uh, didn't exactly kick out the subversives. They just sort of uh, keep vying for power within their institutions. The LCMS kicked them out. And they went on to form a larger denomination, granted, but one that is uh, separate, uh, the ELCA. Um, if you ever see newspaper headlines of a, uh, of a Lutheran church that has a transgender bishop that's also a woman or something like that, it's the liberal ELCA. Um, they were basically, most of them were kicked out of the LCMS uh, and merged with the other liberals. Um, but you know, we, we have a, a, a distinct history that sets us apart from the rest of the American Protestants. It's just in the modern day, um, that heritage seems to have completely died um, because we have subversives right now that are kind of running the denomination. And that's the, uh, that's the controversy that I've been involved with for the last few weeks um, because those uh, uh, more theologically liberal subversives um, put out a catechism, uh, you know, a, a statement of faith, what it means to be not just uh, Lutheran, but Christian. Um, and they basically conceded every game that was played by the left in the last 10 years. So uh, th- that's a lot to just throw at you at once. Uh, you know, if, if any of that didn't make sense, uh, I can go back and elaborate more. Yeah, it's some good stuff there, 100%. Yeah, no, because it's fascinating. There's a lot of different, um, I suppose, denominations across America. I seen. Did you see this week that the FBI are monitoring the tra- trad cats or the traditional Catholics? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the radical traditionalists with the uh, hate symbol of the rosary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, <laughs> but it, it's fascinating to watch because it seems to be now that um to actually be uh what would you call it the subculture like like for these teens and whatever. Like to actually be different now, it's that a lot of people are going back to the traditional kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And and it's um, I suppose it must be obviously uh, scaring the establishment if that's you know. <laughs> if that's Very clearly, um, 
Yeah. It's where the youth is. Um, and that's uh, whenever you see all these different uh, mainstream pastors and whatnot um, that had made a name for themselves for being good, solid, conservative pastors. In the last few weeks, they've come out and specifically made, I believe they call them young radicals. They're, uh, you know, they basically made them enemy number one. Um, so a lot of these churches do realize that the youth that actually care are more traditional and radical in some respects. Um, and they, for whatever reason, don't like that. You know, for the first time in who knows how many generations, um, you do have these uh, traditional youth that really do care about this stuff and they're being turned away or put on FBI watch lists. I, I guess you take your pick. It goes to, it goes to show, like, but I, it, I suppose people can see the, the subculture. It is, I think, uh, and I've been saying this for a while, that the, that, it, that the, the, it might start to go the, like our direction. It seems to me that there's a, the, you know, that the establishment is exposing themselves for what they are all across Europe, all across the United States. Um, you know, that the, it's all nonsense, basically. And, and we're looking for good people, do you know what I mean, to find find their footing and to start, you know, pushing back against this this nightmare that's actually coming across the place. But just to ask you on the whole thing with the Lutheran church and that, what do you think about the, the like? Is there a Freemasonry element to any of it? And this is probably this is a spicy question, right? So, um, I actually I only keep track of that stuff on the very sort of local level. Um, I know, uh, much to my chagrin, uh, one of the more moderate to liberal churches in my area, uh, which is Oklahoma, middle of the U.S., um, they usually have a lot of Freemasons in the churches. On the upper level, though. I would be very doubtful if they openly, um, if they're openly consistent of Freemasons, you know, the Synod president or the district presidents or whatnot, um, just because that is uh, technically it's still on the books that you cannot be a member of a lodge and a member of the Lutheran church. Um, that being said, um, and I can't substantiate any of this because this is not my wheelhouse. Whenever I was uh, um, exposing some of the stuff out of that catechism that I mentioned earlier, I kept getting messages from people in the New England district, uh, basically saying that their uh, district uh, higher-ups were engaging in occultism. So I don't know if it's Freemasons, but I wouldn't be surprised to find various other uh, occultic lodges probably in the higher-ups. It seems to be a problem across the, the different denominations. That's I think everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. and. Um, and I think with the COVID maybe and the pandemic and that, a lot of the, how did your um, denomination fare with that? Did they shut down? Did they comply? Did, you know, did they promote the, the interventions or how did they handle it? Right. So uh, this is actually an issue that sort of predates the current catechism controversy. Um, for the whole COVID-19 uh, uh, you know, reaction to the pandemic or whatever you want to call it, um, most so-called conservative churches in the United States completely went along with the narrative. Uh, they pushed lockdowns, vaccines, and whatnot else, and only a few people held out. And at the time, they were branded as, branded as absolutely crazy. They were kicked out of all the fashionable circles and whatnot else. Um, but there were some holdouts. Uh, the vast majority, however, just completely went along with it, um, which that combined with the Floyd riots and the uh, reaction to that uh, sort of 
sent signals to the uh, people that actually care about this stuff that, uh, you know, maybe it's not enough to just call yourself a conservative Christian or whatever else. You actually have to live it out. Uh, so, yeah, it, uh, the COVID uh, epidemic was a, or a pandemic rather, um, was a, uh, it was a pretty loud uh, signal that something was wrong. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think that 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 was right across the board. Like here in Ireland, they shut down all the churches, all denominations. On one side of my family, there's Jehovah's Witnesses and all the rest of my family are Catholic. And it was like, even they, they were, they they would class themselves as being, you know, what, like they'd be ultra conservative or they'd be uh, fundamental Christians or whatever you want to call it, like, like, like a cultish type of thing. And they were taken in by it and they shut down their their meetings um, all across the world and whatever to start doing it online. And, you know, then they were, they didn't fully endorse the, the medication and whatever, but they, they did, you know, there was, I seen I, I researched it at the time, like I, I haven't associated with it since I was 12 or 13 years old. The last time I had nothing to do with it, I'm very skeptical of it. But when I did throw my eyes back on it during the pandemic, this is why I asked you about the Masonic influence. I had done some research on them and I realized that their founder was a Freemason. And then to this day, I looked at some of the recent stuff and on their um on their public set, like if you if you go on YouTube or whatever their channel is, there they have their own production set. And if you look at it, there's clear Masonic symbolism. Actually, the set is you know, Jackie and Boaz, there's two pillars and there's a circle, <laughs> there's a table, it's a circle in between it and all this, and it's really Masonic. And I, I was dumbfounded when I seen it. But I just think everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And um, I suppose a lot of Catholics uh, be very, um, and rightly so, um, wary of the Freemasonry element. Because in Ireland, we have a, a long tradition of it here and to have their lodges in each town everywhere. And then there's clear Masonic influence within our government because uh, they, it's just there. There's evidence there if you look at the architecture and the, the different monuments they've erected only in recent history. But um, yeah, so I know I'm after giving you a mouthful there. Right. And, uh, you know, it's it's even worse over in America because you had, uh, I don't know how many of the founders were Freemasons. Uh, it's uh, the masonry is specific. The masonry symbols are specifically on our currency, uh, our federal buildings and all this other stuff. Most towns have a lodge. Um, so it's it's right there with you. It's just that the United in the United States, Americans don't really have the mistrust or the distrust rather of the Masons. Um, and that's just because they were probably more favorable to them to be, to the beginning. Um, but when you look at immigration patterns, uh, the Lutherans, for instance, uh, found most of their following from German immigrants. And those German immigrants that came over here that ended up inside the LCMS were very, very uh, traditional, conservative, whatever you want to call it. Um, back in Germany, they had dealt with Jacobins, proto-Marxists, and all this other stuff. Um, so, we, the LCMS actually did keep a very strong record of being against masonry uh, for the vast majority of its history. It's just whenever you get to about the 1960s, as with most other uh, organizations, um, that starts going out the window and, uh, you know, you get all this uh, syncretism basically being allowed to infiltrate the church. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, look, that's right across the board, I think, um with 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 all the <clears throat> sorry with all the denominations, um yeah so <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm done with the with the tough questions. What about the uh, the Zionist element? Is there support for is there wide ranging support for 
for Zionism in general, or what, what's that? What's the feeling kind of on that issue? Right. So American Protestants have this uh, huge reputation of being hardcore Zionists, and that's entirely earned. Um, it didn't used to be that way. Um, but there's a whole sort of uh, subversive history behind it, like very uh, detailed. Uh, it starts with like one guy's study Bible in the early part of the 1900s, uh, the Schofield study Bible in particular. Um, many other people have talked about this. I'm not going to be able to do it justice in such a short time. Um, but this was like a generational uh, reputation that was earned. But with the Lutherans, um, <laughs> for various different reasons, Zionism didn't entirely take hold. Until very recently, there are some factions that are very uh, philo-Semitic. Uh, um, with all that being said, um, they aren't fully Zionist, the LCMS and most other conservative Lutherans. But if you call them an anti-Semite, um, they will absolutely bow down before you just because they do not want to be called an anti-Semite, just like they don't want to be called a racist or a sexist. It's the, uh, uh, the weapons still work on them. So they don't necessarily have all these giant uh, funding drives for Israel or whatever else. Uh, they, don't, they don't really do that, but they will, uh, they will still go right along with what the uh, words are supposed to do to you. They will cower in fear if you call them an anti-Semite or an anti-racist, which has uh, very ironically led to them condemning Martin Luther um, for several of his publications. So uh, make of that what you will. Um, it's it's very inconsistent, and that is that should be a problem to people that actually care about uh, consistency, especially in regards to Christianity. So uh, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, no, because it, it, it's actually, well, it's probably by chance, but I have um, some books on this uh, <laughs> on this uh, Telegram, and I had one of them, and, I, and just by chance, before I even knew we, we were doing this uh, podcast, I had read, uh, some of uh, Dr. Martin Luther and on on my row about Jews in general, right? And now, I it's just it's it's comical because obviously you have to look at it in its context and at its time, and um, but it would be it, it's no different to what says plenty of popes would have been saying around the same time, you know, critical. And this is not it's it's just a historic they're historic documents, um, but. Yeah, so that that is interesting because um, loot. If anyone anyone can look in, I might actually share the PDF into the into the group after. But uh, anyone can read it. It's um, it's very interesting. Have you ever, have you seen any of the, any of his work that he wrote on on that on that uh, JQ? <laughs> right, right. And uh, so if you do actually go through and read that book, um, it's infamous just because of its title, and you can tell that because if you actually read into it. It's a very theological critique for half of it. And then the other half is saying this is what you should do since they're leading Christians astray. Um, if you listen to the uh, modern narrative surrounding it, you would think that he was, uh, you know, advocating for some sort of 1500s version of the NSDAP. But that's just not the case. He is saying uh, this is why Judaism is false and this is why it must be opposed and how it must be opposed, um, which that makes perfect sense. If you're a Christian, you do hold that Judaism is false, and then you also usually have logical consequences for heretic religions or heathen religions that try to lead your own people astray. Um, so whenever you call these people anti-Semites and they go and condemn works like that, um, it really opens up the door for uh, union and syncretism. You know, are we going to start now being very friendly to people that aren't Christians uh, just because we don't want to be called mean words? Uh, so 
Yeah, yeah, I ha I have read that. Um, the reputation is entirely unearned. I was uh, I actually went. I heard of its reputation before reading it. Um, and I opened up the book and I was expecting it to be probably the spiciest thing that I ever read. And I was severely disappointed at how sort of uh, systematic and theological it was. Uh, w was not the reputation that I was promised. But look, it's, it, it's like all faiths, I suppose, will uh, be critique of each other. Like if you, I'm sure if you went to, to some uh, documents in, within Islam, they'll be, have, they do have all sorts of derogatory terms not even they do but I, I, I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm butt hurt by it or I care it's like it's just a it's a truism that all faiths and all different you know they will have their their critiques of other faiths it, it doesn't account to that you should be labeled as you know that that's now what you you're an anti-semite and like, I you know what I mean I think that's these labels have to go like in Ireland we're getting persecuted at the moment we're being called far right we're being called fascist and all this and when you look at some of the protests and stuff that's going on it's basically concerned mothers and children and fathers and families and it's not do you know what i mean this label thing it's the oldest trick in the book isn't it like you were saying that you you said yeah, you've had some of that only this week or right right and the, all of these words are a cudgel um and you can point that out very clearly what is their definition? You should expect to see if this is an actual concerning critique that these people have, where they are afraid of a specific thing happening, then they should be able to point out exactly what it is. But racist, anti-Semite, sexist, and all these other things do not have set definitions. They change with the uh, whims of the people, uh, seemingly. You know, they, they have all these different addendums to their definitions in dictionaries. They have all these different uh, academic, uh, you know, what does it really mean to be racist or an anti-Semite? Or is this specific thing in a very racist or is it anti-racist? They can't tell you. That's because it's designed not to have a definition so they can hit you over the head with it. And people go along, um, specifically in uh, most uh, Western countries, because you don't want to be seen as impolite. You don't want to be seen as causing discord or trouble. And when these people control the institutions, causing discord or trouble or being impolite is a good way to get you kicked out. So these things turn into complete and total weapons. Um, and most people can't speak out against it because speaking out against it gets the weapon pointed at you. So when I, you talked about Ireland, I, uh, I intermittently keep up with European politics, uh, at least for what I can. Uh, you know, Ireland, England, um, thankfully, have uh, a language that I can read. Um, and it seems like every single time that people just say, hey, we want things to be like they were, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago. You get called an absolutely evil and virulent racist or an anti-Semite or all these other things. Um, and this is, a, this is how the weapons work. If you support the policies that were written law for the last some 300 years until a few decades ago, um, you will be unpersoned, uh, which is absolutely fantastic just how fast everything has gone off the rails. So... Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean when you're talking about that. It, it seems to be the oldest trick in the book, and it, in in Ireland, thankfully, I think they've lost control of the narrative. One of the politicians that said this week, he said that um, you know, we've lost control of the narrative. So that means with this with this issue around the the immigration, like it, it's it's they've lost control of the narrative. Like that's that's it now. Do you know what I mean? They're they're, they're not in the driving seat anymore, and I think that's why they're worried. But you, um, just to bring it back to say to um, your own situation and that and, and what we're kind of uh, on topic, 
what do you think then yourself say for young men and western men say like what's what aesthetic should we be putting forward what 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 can we do in our in our day-to-day lives um any any thoughts on that right so um as for the aesthetic or the strategy what should you be looking towards um it's it's obviously going to depend on what your heritage is um because i it would be entirely misplaced for me to say that absolutely everyone in the west should become uh like looking back to english aesthetics or something that's not how it's supposed to be that takes the uh that takes the great beauty out of europe whenever you take away all the differences between the nations um so um, to any young people that actually want to look back at how things are supposed to be, you're going to have to go back to your lineage, your heritage. Um, that, that's sort of like on the aesthetic side, the national side, the cultural side. Um, for religion, um, I, you know, I'm a Lutheran, so I would obviously love everyone to be Lutheran. Um, but I am realistic, and I will say that that's probably not going to happen. I would at least prefer that everyone help maintain the conservative sides of their own churches. I would much rather work with conservative Catholics uh, or traditional Catholics, conservative or traditional Presbyterians, uh, Anglicans, and all these other types, instead of the liberal versions. Um, The liberal versions just seek to absolutely consume and destroy every version of Christianity, regardless of what brand it attaches itself to. Um, So... You know, even even though I will call myself a Lutheran and I hold the confessions that distinct uh, uh, that make us a distinct group, I do still want traditional Catholics to win their fight. I do still want traditional Presbyterians to win their fight. So, if you are a young person, you need to be looking to your heritage and you need to be looking to you know the fight that's in your own church so that you can win it for the right side. Um, That's all that I could say, uh, just because. That's a very general answer, and it almost sounds like a cop-out, um, but there is no silver bullet. All of these things are being attacked across the board, and there's just fixing one isn't going to fix the rest. It might make it easier, but it's not going to absolve all the problems. You have to look back at each individual thing here and fight the battle. Uh, so that, that's that's what I would say. Uh, know, know what your battle is and go out and fight it. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. I have to ask you about this, and and you'll probably be able to correct me, but isn't there is it tax free status in the US for churches? Is it E one C three or churches or what? What's the do you know the acronym? Uh, I I don't remember. Uh, is it five hundred one C three is the act uh, political committees? But um, the, yeah, I, so churches are tax exempt, but that's sort of being uh, discussed as to whether or not that should be kept by the uh, uh by the Democratic Party. So uh, I know what you mean there. Yeah, but see, this is where some people say, like, those churches, oh, they, they were all the ones who shut down their doors and, you know what I mean, X, Y, and Z, and, you know, they're, they've all sold out or whatever. There's a, a Masonic influencer. I don't know, but this is what, like, do you remember, do you, I'm sure you've seen the viral video of the church in New York, was it, where it was, like, a, um, an African-American transvestite danced up through the, the church and everyone's there and they're all laughing and all that, like, where is this like I, I i don't how is the how is it got where does this liberal influence where is it coming from is it coming from like it's not that there's anything like people can live like we're 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 all about freedom or whatever but like that's not the place for that do you know what i mean and it's and you can see it all across in the in the uk as well now they want to do i think it's same sex uh unions or something in there and there's a transvestite, you know what I mean, priest, priest, and and have or and have women and priests and all this kind of stuff. 
Well, where does this come from? Like, why and why is it? Is it that tax exempt status that they're now being manipulated over the money, or is right. it like, or is it Freemasons or what is? It? So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot going on. So, um, I have seen people say that perhaps the tax exempt status is being held over the heads of most of these churches because, um, what was it, the Respect for Marriage Act or something like that that was just passed. Um, there's a lot of people that are really worried that their churches are going to lose tax-exempt status. Um, now, to people that don't know what the situation surrounding that is, that may just sound like these greedy old churches don't want to give up their precious money. Um, but in reality, they would not be able to stay afloat with their churches if they also had to pay taxes on top of everything else. Uh, you would basically be forcing most of these places underground uh, or concentrating them into one usually more liberal church that has its finances in order. So uh, that that's the issue there. Um, the state absolutely has a sword hanging just above the throat of every single conservative denomination. Um, and then you also have um, sort of like a larger civil rights uh, legal influence on most of these places. Um, most people would know about the American Bill of Rights. Uh, what they do not know is that once upon a time, they only applied to the federal government. Uh, that is, state governments usually, or once upon a time, did have the freedom uh, to legislate what it is they wanted. Uh, so the First Amendment, uh, that Congress will make no laws uh, establishing a uh, state church or regulating speech, all this other stuff, um, that used to, once upon a time, apply to the federal government until we had the civil rights regime basically take it out of its proper place and apply it into individual lives. Uh, and you can apply that to the other amendments as well. Um, all of that being said, um, the legal system for the last 60 years has demonstrated its absolute willingness to just go in and destroy whatever traditional order exists. Um, they did this with schools. They did this with localities, uh, city councils, voting booths. Uh, they did this with the old uh, sharecropping system that was in the United States South. Um, they will do it to churches. These people that uh, run uh, our country right now are very obviously godless. They have no fear of any higher power. Uh, they, they will absolutely go against any holy institution. On top of that, you also have uh, enemies within. So um, I mentioned this earlier, but in the uh, middle half of the 1900s, or the middle part of the 1900s, excuse me, um, there was a battle between uh, more fundamentalist or evangelical conservatives uh, over whether or not scripture, the Bible, uh, is, uh, is truthful, whether or not it is real, whether or not it, is, uh, it applies today, uh, while the other side was claiming that it was all metaphorical, uh, that it had to be read within historical context, all this other stuff. Um, either side may sound reasonable. But whenever you take the critical method, uh, which is what it was called, uh, the, the scripture should be read in its historical context, suddenly most of Christianity does not apply to the modern day because we have a different historical context. So suddenly you can ordain women, you can ordain transvestites, you can have, uh, you can have who knows what, what happening in the churches, you know, cross-dressing in the pulpit and all this other stuff. Um, that was a battle that was happening as well. So all of these things converging basically around the same time um, is the battle that was fought and is still being fought. Um, so, and if you want to know what's behind it, um, I would, of course, offer you the answer of Satan, uh, because all these things will eventually go back to, did God really say or does God really exist? So um, 
that's what's happening in the United States there. Hopefully that uh, answered the question a little bit. Yeah, no, and I concur, like, the, just did a few things there, like, when you were talking, but I think what you said there at the end there, Satan, and that, like, we've seen there was at the Grammys and the, the carry-on there with the, the Sam Smith director that they're, they're pushing out front front and centre with, and he was dressed as the devil, or even Elon Musk there as well at Halloween there, and he was dressed as the devil or all this, but there's not, there is, and the Balenciaga thing, obviously, and, and everything else, you know what I mean, so... That there is that that force is real. It's very real and it's out there. And something else when you were talking about uh, when you were talking there, uh, it came into my head. Like we've we've lost our way, say, with our traditions and whatever else. And we, we've we've become really liberal across Ireland, across the West. And at the same time, we you know obviously that the issue we have here with these migrants that they're flooding the place with it's like an invasion or a plantation or whatever. A lot of these guys are ultra. Um, Muslim traditional you know could be a radical maybe and it's completely just doesn't match with, with our with our way and it's like I don't know it just crossed my mind that we've just we're, we're weak we're very very weak and it's like we're um, we're, we're, we're in for we're, like there's nothing for us only disaster unless we, we, we collectively get our shit together right yeah that's uh, something else is a uh people will sometimes craft a victim narrative which does not work for the right wing or anyone that wants any sort of a traditional institution you can't frame yourself as a victim because that makes you weak um so the fact of the matter is the united states has two very weak very easily defendable land borders just because you know you've only got so many places of actual entry other otherwise it's just wilderness and then you have two oceans on either side um as we demonstrated throughout most of our history we could very easily control the borders and who gets in. It is just a lack of willpower, a lack of will to enforce the law uh, that has brought about problems with migrants. Same with uh, Ireland or Great Britain, both of which are islands. Um, it is very easy to control who comes in. This has all happened and this has all been let to happen. Uh, so it's not necessarily that we're victims, even though we are being victimized, uh, certainly. There, there are a lot of very evil... Uh, a very evil practice is being taken against all of us right now. Um, but this was let happen, and that is a lesson that can't be forgotten. Uh, you had multiple generations that either had it too good, didn't understand the consequences of their actions, or were just overtly malicious. Uh, and they brought about all of these things quite strenuously, too. It's very difficult through most times in history to get an entire population from uh, Mesopotamia all the way to Ireland. Like uh, that, such a uh, demographic transition or a demographic transfer uh, would be absolutely unthinkable in any other time. All of this stuff is calculated. So uh, th that's a lesson that has to be learned here. Um, and it's uh, the main takeaway from that would be don't idly sit back. If you see something going off the rails, um, especially in your own life, obviously no, not many people here are probably legislators or judges or policymakers or anything like that. But in your own life, if you see something going off the rails, the last 60 or so years should be an absolute uh, uh, demonstration for why you don't just sit back silently and let things continue. You actually have to correct uh, errors. You, have to, you actually have to set things back on track. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's my take on the migrant stuff as well, because uh, I absolutely hate it. And I also dislike whenever uh, 
the right tries to make it out like, oh, we were just going about our day and then suddenly they appeared. No, there are people behind this. Uh, they hate you and you actually have to defend yourself against them. Uh, obviously, I'm not advocating going out and uh, doing something terroristic that would be against the law. Um, you know, don't break the law, um, but resist it in any way you can, is what I would say. Uh, yeah, no, I concur 100%. Um, there is loads of ways within the law, and, and that's the best way. Like, if there's no point in getting in trouble and being, you know, you're you're out of the fight then. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's political, there's all sorts of different, there's culture, there's all different ways people can uh, on on a grassroots level to push things back in Ireland, especially because a lot of people now are beginning to wake up, but they're not these people that weren't awake maybe over the pandemic. They might have believed a lot of that stuff, or you know, they're all at different places and different phases. But uh, there, there is a, a concern among a lot of people that there's something not quite quite right with what's going on. Um, what do you make yourself of? Uh, obviously, you're you're not a fan of Biden, I presume, but. What do you make of this whole carry on with the the Ukraine and and all this? Like it's the escalation there. Like do you, do you, do you, are you following any of that along? Like some people are worried that World War Three. Like it's they are there are you know they're taking the piss now what they're doing. Right. So um, with a land war, especially one in Europe with uh, regional or major powers, um, you can't always count out the idea that this can escalate. Which is why I just do not like war in general. Uh, is because this, uh, especially in the modern era, can just spell the end at any point in time. Uh, obviously very unwise to just engage in war wantonly. Uh, all that being said, this is a European land war. Um, the United States, uh, through its meddling uh, factions with NATO and its other sort of like economic agreements and sanctions and whatnot else, uh, should just simply not have involved itself in this. Um, either way, this does not affect the United States. We aren't really too terribly tied to Ukraine. We aren't really too terribly tied to Russia, nor should we really be. That's the uh, that's the old American right uh, perspective on foreign policy. Um, yeah, you know, we should be friendly with the rest of the world, um, but we shouldn't be tied to it. So by committing all these materials, monies, and all this to Ukraine, which personally I'm not, I don't keep up with it, so I'm not going to say which side is in the right or the wrong. Um, uh, I got. I had a bunch of people on Telegram flood my channel, uh, posting like dead bodies and corpses because I said I I can't really take a side either way, but um, that that's just because it's not my thing. Uh, this is an entire ocean away on a separate continent that I have never been on. Um, I don't know why I should have an opinion, nor do I know why the United States should have an opinion. Um, all of this stuff is completely antithetical. Uh, to our political traditions that we were founded upon. It's antithetical to the people that came over here to escape most of that. Uh, you know, how many immigrants uh, from Europe came over here to get away from European warfare only to have their great-grandchildren uh, be extorted or siphoned off to go support Ukraine or Russia or whoever else? It's, uh, it's, it's almost, uh, it would be hilarious if it wasn't a war. Uh, just such a contradiction and uh, you know, founding principles, founding creeds, uh, just because you know, foreign policy demands it. Uh, you know, Biden might have a, a company that's attached to his family that we need to go defend. Uh, we might have some sort of uh, need to spread uh, homosexuality to Ukraine or something like that. Uh, it's it would be comical if it wasn't so bleak. Just how how uh, 
total this this war support has ended up being. I would be I would be shocked if this de-escalates in the future, to be perfectly honest. But once again, I'm not a war analyst, so maybe I'm not the best to uh, talk about that. I just know the historical patterns. Whenever we start sending material over there, uh, we only get more involved. Usually we do not get less involved. Yeah, yeah, it's that's pretty much it. it. It's I know sure none of us are you know none of us are security analysts, but it is it seems to be brinksmanship and you know it just and the loss of life there on both sides is staggering and ridiculous and there's absolutely no need for it. I think some people call them brother wars or you know white genocide like it's it's all just you know you wonder what what the hell, but um yeah so no it's it's. Pretty good, man. You're you're well spoken. You, you you have your you have your head screwed on. You you know what's what's up. Um, how do you see in the US yourself? Do you see that there is um is there a trend now forming where like this you know the more traditional youth and whatever are coming together? I, I gather there is, but I'm I like I'm only an outsider. Right. So um, it, it's been sort of like a, a meme almost. Uh, the Most people that are aware of current trends do know that the youth is trending more traditionalist, more radical, uh, just because the world has gone so off the rails. Apparently going back 100 years is radical now, but uh, that's the state of things. Um, but most people recognize those trends. Um, and that's pretty much the entire reason why this side of the right can still exist. Otherwise, it would be a bunch of people that uh, uh, are continually aging, uh, that are you know not being uh, flooded by a constant supply of youth. Uh, we do have that constant supply of youth, which is uh, why things might seem crazy or dumb or uh, off focus at times. But that that's a wonderful thing to have. Your enemy um, does not have a constant supply of very caring, very radical youth. They have youth that they basically uh, shanghaied out of public school systems. Uh, that don't really have any sort of higher motivation or goal. Uh, so uh, that that is something that the right has that the left doesn't. Uh, just, you know, m- maybe there's a little bit of hope in there. Um, and then on the church side as well, um, any any church that actually does just stay strong, go back to its heritage, go back to its older doctrines, you know, the ones that people held for who knows how many centuries, uh, that's not only right, um, but it will actually get them some sort of benefit now uh, because those youth do exist. Um, I, I have a, I have videos on my own channel where I go through the fact that that's not all youth. In fact, it's probably a minority. Um, but we're not playing a democratic game here. You just need enough. You don't need all of them or a majority or whatnot else. So uh, th- there is hope there. Um, and then on the political side, um, uh, I mentioned at the, at the outset of this, the Old Glory Club, which I and a bunch of my friends write for and manage and all of that. Um, you know, one, one of the things that we went in through uh, to market at the very beginning uh, was that we are youthful. Most of us in there are, uh, I think the youngest of us would be me at 19 years old, and the oldest is probably 50-something. So, uh, you, you know, that's, that's a pretty young age range for a political, uh, for a political organization. Uh, so th- there is hope here. Uh, people should definitely be capitalizing on it. If there's a, I, I threw this idea to the Canadians that perhaps they should make an analogy to the old glory club, have a, uh, have sort of like a Canadian club, something similar. Uh, you can do this in any other country and there is opportunity here to have actual written alliances, strategic partnerships and all whatnot else. 
uh, this is something to capitalize on. You know, don't don't let this opportunity pass you by. So uh, I, I would say youthful uh, traditionalism, youthful radicalism uh, is absolutely going to be a key asset that we have. Um, and if we don't uh, capitalize on what we have, uh, we aren't going to win. So uh, that that would be my take on that. But yeah, maybe I've overlooked something. No, no, that's that's pretty good. Fair play to you. You have your head screwed on well, and you know you have your wits about you. You know what's up, and you know you're you're on the right track, and you'll definitely make a difference. Like it's 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 you know what I mean. Over time, it's kind of like comp- it compounds over time, and you seem to be doing great stuff there. So fair play to you for doing it, and you know keep up the good work. Thank you very much. No hassle at all. Um, sure, it's tipping there. I might open up there. Has anyone a few questions? A few, a couple of questions, Patricia. Um, do you want to come in? Yeah, yeah. Um, hi, Ryan. Um, I, I just have, I just have two in regards to your faiths there. I hope you don't mind me asking. Uh, the first, the first thing is, is there any aspect of your religion or your faith that, if you were given the opportunity to change, that you would, and why? And um, are the young people from the Lutheran religion um, are are they are they staying within the religion or are they moving away from it? Right. So if I could change something, um, it would probably be most things that were added on the last sixty or so years, um, because you know, sort of in in the LCMS, they will have this is official doctrine or whatnot, which uh, ironically uh, seems very sort of Roman. Uh, you know, having a, uh, a human system come down with the official doctrine. Um, so I, I would get rid of that, not only because most of the stuff is wrong, like they have a, they have female suffrage being allowed inside congregations. They have a, a, they've toned down their rhetoric against Freemasonry, uh, despite still having mild sanctions on the books. Uh, they've, they've done a ton of other terrible things. They've called racism a sin. Uh, which is completely breaking with historic Christianity, just because you can't find that called a sin anywhere until like 1940 or so. So uh, get rid of all that. And specifically because uh, one of the founding principles uh, of the LCMS and then one of the main spirits behind Lutheranism itself was that laymen, the average person uh, armed with scripture, uh, was supposed to be able to just check official church doctrine against scripture and then actually call it out if it was wrong. Uh, which is part of why I did what I uh, uh, put out what I did with the catechism and actually sounded the alarm there uh, is because that's what laymen are supposed to do as per the words of Martin Luther himself. And then as per the words of scripture, which he was drawing from. So um, that's what I would say there. Um, And then with the youth, uh, the general trend is that most, most youth just going off from a statistic um, are not staying within Lutheranism. Most of them are going either to a different denomination or usually Rome or the Eastern Orthodox or something like that, um, or they are just not being Christian. Uh, but that's a general trend across American Protestantism because most pastors have just refused to actually be, uh, you know, actually hold to their old faith, the traditional faith, and actually want to cater to the world. So they'll like stop using hymn books and organs. They'll stop using, uh, they'll put screens into the uh, sanctuaries and all this other stuff. Um, have bands play at the front as if that's going to attract anyone from the youth. Uh, so that's a that's an error that American Protestantism has just fallen into. Uh, some places are holding out 
And those places that do hold out, that do stay solid, usually do see that their youth stay in. Um, but there is a larger issue there. Um, the birth rate among American Protestants has completely plummeted in the last few generations. And that's because most of these places uh, effectively okayed contraception. Uh, in fact, being against contraception now is seen as a Roman Catholic issue, despite the fact that, I don't know, six or seven decades ago, it was just universally condemned across most denominations. So uh, that's, the, uh, that's the demographic situation there. Uh, you know, th there is proof on more local levels that if you do stay with the traditional faith, you are just going to have a healthy church. Um, but most people don't want to go along with that. They would rather follow uh, church growth, as a boy, I believe it's called. So uh, th those are my two answers. That's fantastic. Fantastic, Ryan. And my final question for you um, would be, what would your take be um, on the world, on the wor one world religion? Um, there seems to be kind of a focus within uh, Catholicism and other faiths as well of kind of softening um, our doctor, our you know people's doctrines to kind of eventually kind of go into this one world religion. I'm not really expressing what I'm trying to say. Right, um, right. I, I know what you mean, it. though. So, um, you know, this uh, increased uh, this increased draw for all these different uh, religious leaders and all that to uh, be with each other and work out issues as if that's uh, uh, something that's going to be possible. Uh, you know, you have representatives of Judaism, Islam, Roman Catholicism, you know, Baptists and all these other types that actually go together and try to uh, issue feel-good statements to try to unify each other. Um, uh, this is an impulse that I speak about uh, many different times. Uh, throughout my Telegram, throughout my YouTube channel, throughout Twitter, and whatnot else that I write for. Um, and it usually it gets interpreted that I just don't like Roman Catholics or Presbyterians or whatnot else, which is not the case. Uh, hopefully, hopefully anyone that has known me for long enough knows that I am perfectly fine with those people and I can get along with them and work with them. Um, what I usually speak against, though, for these uh, calls to try to unify all these denominations and religions um, is because you are just giving up the truth, you're giving up what is real to try to have some sort of false unity. Um, and th that false unity would be very useful for various different organizations like uh, the UN, the World Economic Forum, all these different sort of uh, globalist types, uh, just because it's very difficult when people have convictions, because then you might actually have to split on something and say, we are standing by what we believe and not with what they believe. But whenever you have all these different world leaders, uh, representatives of their religion get together and try to issue joint statements, um, it's very useful for those sort of globalist uh, organizations, just because you're getting rid of conviction and differences and all these other things that, uh, that might actually mean something. So um, my, my take on sort of like the drive for a one world religion is that it is absolutely corrosive to faith and Christianity. It's absolutely destructive to truth. Um, because truth is being completely cast aside in the pursuit of it, and these people are just seeking feel-good emotions and false unity. So uh, hopefully I've made myself clear there. <laughs> yes, thanks, Ryan. That, that was fantastic. Thanks so much. Anybody else have any questions there? Just stick up your hand and we'll let you speak to Ryan. I just had a question there while you were after talking to him, Richard and the lads. After just that quick question before you let the lads in. On the 
say from your faith, is it like, do they go, like you said, that they look at the Bible and then they would match it with, you know, what, what do they believe? Do, do they believe like that, are, like their eschatology, do they believe like we're in the last days or anything like that? Are they, or do they have that kind of um, thing? Right. Also? So uh, thankfully, uh, because of what Lutheranism, uh, Luther and all the other uh, theologians taught and rightfully taught is what I would say. Um, this is a short answer. Uh, they would say, yes, we are in the last days because uh, the last days began whenever Christ ascended and they will continue until he returns um, and they will call revelation um, very explicitly uh, symbolic most of the time. Uh, you know, all the different signs that are happening and there are not literally going to happen in the sense that there will be a giant bear and dragon and people that are eating stars and whatnot, but these are uh, signs to look out for. Um, at the very least, uh, that are perennially happening now that Christ has ascended. So it's, uh, I, I believe the theological term is amillennialism, um, basically saying that it, there's not a set timeline. Uh, these things are just happening. You know you're in the, the final day, so you better get your stuff, your stuff in order uh, because you don't know when he's going to be returning. So uh, that's the answer there for the Lutherans. Very good. Thanks a million. Uh, Paddy, are you there? Did you have a question? Uh, yeah, I just had a, a little question. I, I know of absolutely nothing about Lutheranism, I'm, I'm afraid. Um, but have the, have the Lutherans ever organised themselves into any kind of communities in the past? Or, or do they do that now, um, you know, to, uh, I suppose, to sort of uh, get deeper into their own faith or a certain kind of a lifestyle or anything like that? Right. So uh, that would depend on where, um, because in so in Europe, um, Lutheranism was kind of, uh, I don't want to say snuffed out because nominally it's still there. Um, but the state church uh, was uh, forced to unify with Calvinists and then it turned into something that's not really Lutheranism or Calvinism. Uh, so if you ignore that for a second, uh, Finland had, a, I believe they were technically considered clerical fascists, um, but, you know, they would... Uh, they were uh, led by Lutheran pastors um, in the sort of interwar period, um, and they would, you know, lead their communities very strictly. They would be a very charismatic presence. They would also uh, actually try to develop themselves as well as take over national politics. Uh, they didn't necessarily succeed electorally, um, but they did usually have a lasting influence on their localities. Uh, in the United States, um, most of the uh, most of the Lutherans that came over here, bar the colonial era. Uh, were immigrant groups from either uh, Scandinavia or Germany, um, and they ha they were basically segregated until they were forced to adopt English in the advent of the First World War. Um, and this means that there were just enclaves of Lutheranism throughout the American Midwest and Great Plains, um, because that's, that's the only people you could be around, because that's the language that was spoken, and you didn't exactly have modern transportation to just take you anywhere. So um, these Lutheran communities have existed before, um, and they were often seen as sort of a not ghetto has a negative connotation, but they were segregated basically from the rest of the country voluntarily. Um, and it was only after the progressive movement, uh, the prohibition of alcohol, World War One, and all this other stuff that they were forced to basically adopt English. And that sort of put them in the midst of everyone else and sort of dispersed them throughout the population. So uh, that, that's over here in the, the U.S., uh, Germany's a whole bag of worms, and I, I don't know if I have time to go into it, nor do I think I would uh, accurately describe it. 
Okay, so so as such, that kind of community movement of the up to the First World War has, has completely disintegrated then? Uh, unfortunately, yes. And there that was even the goal. Um, there was a uh, institution in New York City inside the LCMS uh, that was specifically designed to get the churches to adopt English, uh, to actually start speaking English, have the, uh, have the services in English, uh, so that they would blend in better with the population, and so that their sort of cohesion, uh, their extreme in-group preference would be weakened, basically. So uh, th- that was a deliberate thing that was uh, disintegrated, quite unfortunately. So uh, th- that's the tragedy there. Stuff, good stuff. Thanks, Paddy. I just want to, I just want to keep it tidy for to for the time. I'm going to let Richard in next because he had his hand up the lungs. For Richard, um, a request for Ryan. Uh, might be worth pointing out. Yeah, hi, yeah. hi, Ryan. It's really great you're here with us today. It's lovely to hear you. I'm just wondering. Um, do you see us being able to move through this without having to use violence? <laughs> yeah, so I would say, uh, okay, it depends very much on what the scope of violence is, um, because there is an argument to be made, especially with the United States and all the uh, different population groups that have been imported into Europe uh, and Australia and basically the West. Um if you were to repatriate them through some sort of means, <clears throat> that could be considered violent just because it comes from the state. Um, you know, that, that's a very libertarian way of looking at it, but there is the implicit threat of violence if they don't accept a, uh, they don't accept a uh, stipend for repatriating or if they're forced out or whatnot. Uh, that could technically be considered violence. And, you know, I, I don't think it would be in, in the favor of our long-term stability to keep them around. So they, you know, most of these people will have to leave in some form. It is what I would say. Um, as for something like armed revolution or whatnot else, I think that's a very losing game uh, just because the right doesn't really have a, uh, uh, it hasn't organized too terribly well along those lines. Um, and you need extreme organization in a time of rapid instability in order for that to work. So um, <clears throat> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, you know, armed struggle is probably going to win us anything. Um, but if you do take control of the state or have, say, the ear of the elites that run the state, uh, you know, right next to you, um, you know, state force can definitely be used to win a few things. So uh, that, that's what I would say on that issue. Much appreciate that. Tough. Good stuff. Yeah, st- state like the state has the monopoly on force. That's the whole thing. I think you know what I mean. And yeah, but uh, I think any kind of armed rebellion or anything like that, it's a it's a one sum game. Like you're gonna you're, it's a you're gonna lose. Like I think people need to come together. Like like what Chris Guy used to say: mass non-compliance or getting on voting. You know, getting in at a grassroots level into your into local politics and stuff like that. It's all you can do is do your best in those avenues. That's what I would advocate for, or you know, like what Derek Bly and stuff like that is doing. Make sure you show up at the protests, all that type of stuff. I think the last thing we want is violence. I think the state loves that. I think that's what they want because they just want to say, "Oh, look, they're lunatics. They're they there that you know." So that's my opinion on that. Um, let me see who's next up there with their hand, or is someone's mic open? 
looks like that is pretty much it. Unless we'll let Paddy in for one more question, and then we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay, yeah, it's just a continuation, really, of uh, my my other question. But um, it sounded like uh, you would support the idea of a uh, Lutheran co a community. I mean, uh, you know, I, I I think personally that would that would be um you know, uh, well any any formation of communities are a good idea in my opinion um is that something that you are looking to do or what might look to do yes definitely and that's uh <clears throat> within the church itself that's something that i've been trying to organize is trying to get these uh you know, the, you know local churches to actually cooperate with each other to build an identity um just and that's that's a multifaceted reason on my part um i i'm big into american history and that's often what i write about for the old glory club um, and American history is at its best whenever you see these different European groups sort of on their own and doing their own thing uninfringed um, and sort of being allowed to blossom. Uh, in the modern day, that's not allowed due to a variety of civil rights legislation, atomization brought about by technology and whatever else. Um, so if, you, if, if that does get brought back, this uh, uh, a focus on community and actually trying to find identity, uh, that, that would have very, very wonderful consequences. Uh, for us, and uh, would probably help quite a lot in our fight against evil. So that that's one reason there. And then the other reason is just because I, I do actually love my church and my faith, and any sort of local organization surrounding surrounding the church and the faith would be good, and it's necessary. Uh, an unorganized group is not going to get anywhere, but a, a very, very organized, even small group can have very great impacts on the country or the locality or wherever it is that you're trying to focus on. So uh, yes, I would definitely support that, and I actually do work towards things like that. Hey, thanks very much, Ryan. Good stuff. Lorraine, have you um, a question there? Yeah, hi. Thanks, Gavin. Um, hi, Ryan. Yeah, I just had two questions. One is, do Lutherans believe Jesus is God in the flesh, and do Lutherans keep the Sabbath? Right. So um, Lutherans will confess that uh, Christ is the incarnation, uh, you know, God made flesh. Uh, he is both full God and full man. They will hold to the Athanasian Creed. So uh, that is in the confessions. Uh, in fact, I mentioned earlier the Book of Concord is sort of what makes someone a Lutheran is holding that. Um, the very first thing that is let off from is the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, all of which lay out uh, Orthodox uh, Trinity, uh, Trinitarian doctrine. Um, and then the other question, uh, sorry, remind me what it was. Yeah, do the do you keep the Sabbath? Do you believe the that Sabbath. Jesus nailed the law to the cross, so do you have to keep those laws? Right, yeah. So um, with uh, Christ's death on the cross and his other teachings and the consequences of his sacrifice, um, keeping the Sabbath, uh, here, actually there is a... Uh, the Lutheran Small Catechism is a very influential book just in sort of world history almost. Um, but the sort of uh, third commandment, or at least how the Lutherans number them, similar to the uh, Roman Catholics, uh, you know, that uh, thou shall remember the uh, Sabbath by keeping it holy. Uh, what does it mean? And Martin Luther extrapolates by saying, you should fear and love God, uh, that we may not despise, that we may not despise his preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. For the Lutherans, that is... Uh, remembering the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Uh, we do not hold the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament uh, just because there's no need for a ceremony anymore with Christ having died on the cross. 
We do hold the moral laws, though, because those are unchanging and universal moral laws. Homosexuality is still immoral, not because that was a ceremonial law in Old Testament Israel, but because that is just something that is that is wrong as told to us by God. So uh, hopefully that answers the question there. Uh, where do Lutherans fall on sort of the uh, old laws and the cross and all that? Yeah, thanks a million, Ryan. Yep. Mm, good stuff. Um, Jim, give you a quick question there, Jim. Ryan, hello, sir. Hello. You're a very you've got your amount of conviction. I I respect that. Listen, I had a bit of time on my hands a good few years ago. I was in prison, right? So I wrote, I read, I read the Torah, I read the uh, Bible, I read the Quran, right? But I also read the board, the Book of Concord, right? And uh, the Solus and the Solus Gratia, the Solus Fide, and the Solus Scriptia, you know, by faith alone and so on and so forth, and grace alone by Scripture alone, yeah. Um, and I was a great admirer of uh, of uh, Martin Luther. I mean, when he came out and said to the Catholic Church that you have not got the right to forgive, okay. And I admire that as well. By the way, I'm an atheist. Uh, however, the question I, I want to ask you is this, sir. Uh, and it's a what if question. Uh, if if Martin Luther was alive today, okay, bear in mind he was an Augustinian, okay, and we all know we all know Augustine, the, the soldier priest, right? What advice would he give to nationalists uh, over the invasion of Islam into Europe and destroying cultures as they go, and uh, the, uh, obviously the Roman Catholic Church inviting them in and remains remaining silent about the damage that they're doing? If Martin Luther was alive today, what in your opinion would would the advice he would give to nationalists about the situation in Europe. Right. So with the invasion of Islam, uh, Luther throughout his life uh, on a few topics would uh, vary in opinion. Um, and most modern day Lutherans will usually single out the ones that are the most consistent. Um, he had two opinions on Islam and the Roman Catholic church while he was alive. And there's a very similar situation, slightly more, uh, explicit and organized where you had a literal caliphate invading most of uh, at least eastern and southern europe um and to begin with um he was so incensed with the roman catholic church uh that he said you know this is judgment from god welcome them in you know let, let them let them slaughter the, the romans um but then as he aged uh he began to see the existential threat of the islamic invaders um and specifically made them the full target um that's part of the reason why he uh, famously wrote against the peasants in the peasants' war, um, is because he, uh, you know, on top of the different uh, theological implications of just having peasantry rise up and kill their local lords, um, Europe was strongly divided at that time, and there were Islamic invaders at the door, uh, kind of like now. So it would be very simple to just go back through his writings against the Turk uh, is usually what it, what it was called. Uh, the Luther against the Turk, um, which is just uh, the translation for Luther against Islam, basically, or the Islamic invader. Um, they were seen as the heathen enemy. Uh, he did not have much. Uh, he didn't have much uh, slack given to Rome, obviously. Um, but he somehow still found a way to place the Turk either on equal level at the time or worse. Uh, so I, I suppose his advice to nationalists today uh, would probably be something along what he said at the time, 
which can be summarized as don't sort of uh, get sidetracked. There's an existential threat here. Um, Luther was more fed posty at the time just because you were allowed to uh, you're allowed to have much more freedom of speech, I suppose, in that regard. Um, but he, uh, as should be uh, uh, surmised from his other works, he, he would resort to violence. So that, that's what Luther would do. Um, as I said before, though, don't break the law and get us all, you know, arrested or killed or in trouble. Um, but th that, that's what Luther would probably be uh, focusing on now. So, so what you're saying is the Augustinian would have came out in him? Well, it usually did. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that answer, Ryan. It's very interesting. Thank you, sir. So, I think that's I think that's a, um, a wrap. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast tonight. You were fantastic. Indeed. And you must come back to us again later in the year. Well, thank you very much. And I will uh, gladly return if ever you invite me back. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Ryan. Good man. Just having technical difficulties there for a player. <laughs> My connection dropped. Thanks for coming on, Ryan. It was great. Yeah, thank you. Uh, is the uh, 